Okay, we're recording there. Good on the camera? <clears throat> Alright, cool. Alright guys, welcome back to another Seek One podcast. Uh, you guys have kind of been killing this thing. Um, we've jumped a lot of spots on the charts, which has been kind of cool. So you guys are liking it, so we're going to keep on rolling. Uh, today's guest is Kyle Cheney which a lot of you guys know Kyle um, probably just through who he is in general. Probably the most well-known or, or most accomplished, is it off-road racing? What kind of, uh, I guess, what like category is it officially called? Yeah, it would be, it would be off-road. Um, off-road racing? Yeah, so I race uh, side-by-side <coughs> and a Pro 4 truck. I race side-by-side for Can-Am. Okay. <coughs> I've been with Can-Am for it's over a decade now. Um, you know, they've treated me very well and shoot, we've came a long way. The, the new Can-Ams are light years better than what they used to be. We all about used to be race golf carts, but you know, they're, they're dang near trophy trucks. Now. Y'all should take a step back and, and race golf carts. Dude, it would be, that would be a fun, actually, I just uploaded a picture to my Facebook the other day, like a 10 year, like a uh, picture. And it was crazy what we were racing 10 years really? ago. Yeah. So you and I, uh, became and we'll we'll get into more of kind of your career here and, and we're sitting in your trophy room right now that is like extremely impressive to say the least and uh you and i became and we'll get into some of your stories of like some of these huge deer that we're sitting behind some of them are extremely well known ed is extremely well known um but i guess taking it back to how you and i even became friends i mean most people have seen you on our youtube channel we did a video last year in ohio where you were kind enough to let us crash your house, mm. uh, <laughs> and we're back. Time. We're back. Maybe overstaying our welcome. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, always, you know, super appreciative to let you stay. Let us stay here. And uh, I did it last when we were in Ohio last fall. That was so much freaking fun. Like I had a blast on that trip. Just being here, hanging out, and like ripping around in the canams and stuff. Uh, a lot of firsts happened for me here this morning as soon as or even as fresh as this morning started you made me start off with the ice plunge that you got going yeah i mean i've been uh busting your cherry here a lot of (laughs) you know it it almost feels like you know last year you did you got in the side by side and you know almost feels like i'm a professional hunter stuck in a racer career and you are a professional hunter or you're a professional racer that's stuck in a hunting career you know, once you got, you were like, that impressed with my, with my rate and my driving. Yeah. Like last year you got in the Can-Am and like, you just went out there through in the first corner and you about beat me and you, you know, I know we had a, a bet going, so I'm waiting for you to find this 200 inch deer here this year. <laughs> then I can take your spot. Cause I do have it on video last year that you said you were going to give me your I best don't spot. Know in Ohio I don't remember since I, since I won, won the race, but you about <laughs> won the race. Cause after that was over we went back and worked on the car and the wheel about fell off for me so you about had the wheel coming off of it really yeah you yeah. didn't tell me that until now yeah i didn't tell you that till now because i didn't want you to get a big head but you you about well, won that's a that good race. thing when you when you kind of break him a little bit <laughs> you about broke it for me if i'd have lost that race because of a, a dnf <laughs> i'd have been pretty upset but <laughs> so you and i had we became friends i guess we connected on social media uh I mean, dude, that's probably been, well, six, seven years ago at this point. Maybe longer. I mean, you were still Roy back then, you know. Still am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were, that was when you were Roy. 
I don't even know what it was, but I was on social media, I don't know, looking at something. This was a long time ago. And there was a big deer. You must have just posted it, and it must have been in my feed or something. I just happened to see it. And I think back then you may have got like 200 likes or something. But I'm like, man, this, that's a nice deer. And I kind of looked, and this guy's in Georgia. Like, there ain't no way he's killing these deer in Georgia. There ain't no big deer in Georgia. Like, this this guy's, I was for sure, like, he had a rich dad, you know, that probably owned a pizza shop and was, you know, laundering money and, you know, <laughs> had these big deer in his backyard or something. That, uh, <clears throat> that's actually, it's kind of funny you bring that up. That is, uh, I, I want to do a rumors podcast. Um, I think that'd be a good podcast to do because, like, it's crazy the rumors that fly around. One of the top rumors is that I come from this like millionaire billionaire family that my dad's some the I'll give you a quick rundown of what I have seen personally seen online that people have said who my dad is. One of them is uh Jim Ellis, which is like a Jim Ellis dealership owner around Atlanta. Sorry to disappoint you guys. That's not my dad. Well, that'd be great if it was. <laughs> yeah, I was actually wanting to deal on a, a new GMC. I didn't know if you could help <laughs> no, me out there. No, unfortunately, that's that's not my family oh, tree. And then another one was that my dad's some like big real estate tycoon that owns properties all around Atlanta and has all these buddies that own properties all around Atlanta. And that uh, that's how I have all my permission is that it's just all like my dad's properties he has through real estate sorry to disappoint everyone that's not my who my dad is and then probably one of my favorite ones of people guessing who my dad was was they said that um i actually was related to elon musk that like elon musk musk was my uncle (laughs) and so that i have all this money that i like buy all this permission and stuff for and again sorry to disappoint it would be pretty cool if elon musk was my uncle but my dad owns a a little pizza restaurant I in Atlanta. You. Pizza shop. I don't. Yeah. Did money. you know the pizza thing? I, I don't. I, Dang, I kinda, you, I, I'm pretty smart when it comes to like. You dug people. into my background. Yeah. I mean, I figured that's where he's laundering money, and you got this big high fence behind <laughs> your mansion in Atlanta, and you just picked whichever one you wanted to take out that year and put them on your Instagram. My dad. Uh, yeah. He, he. No. The mysterious reveals. My dad is not uh, some big millionaire billionaire guy. He's He's owned and, and ran a little pizza restaurant in Atlanta called Little Ozio for, I mean, my dad's uh, like, I think he's 77 years old now, and he's still working his ass off every day at the pizza place. Um, so that's, what that's you know, sorry to, anyways. No, that's I awesome. kind of got sidetracked no, there. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we are laundering money through the pizza place. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that's how you kind of, I guess found our stuff though is just like a random yeah and you know I just kind of saw a picture that you know I don't even know if you were seek one yet it was just a picture you put I don't even remember what deer it was I'm like that's a pretty good deer so I just followed you and it was probably so early you know I think you just happened to follow me back and we just kind of every now and then you'd post a picture I post a picture and you'd comment and then I'd comment back to you and we just kind of kind of stayed like that for a while and then uh I ran into you at the ATA show there and um, you know, that's been what, three or four years ago and just kind of BS a little bit and kind of stayed in a little more contact since then. And, you know, when you're coming to Ohio, <clears throat> you know, I had, uh, you know, some big deer and you paid me a lot of money to put you on them. <laughs> and, uh, you you're know, not supposed to tell people that, oh, dude. Shoot. Can you cut that out? <laughs> that's all right. We'll edit it. Yeah. We'll edit it out. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't know like which part of Ohio you were in. And so I, that was really last year that I kind of like connected the dots of kind of, you know, which part of the state you were in. And I'm, uh, I'm always trying to bum a couch somewhere. And so, uh, you know, I, I definitely took you up on the offer, but that trip was just fun because like I've learned, I mean, obviously just through seeing the deer you've killed on, on social media, but like after like really becoming buddies, like you're a killer and like walking in this room, I'd, I'd never seen this room before until coming here last year. And it's just like, you know, it, you can get lucky and kill a big deer, but to repeat it, like do that repeatedly one after the other, after the other, and, and kind of, you know, have what we're sitting in front of in here is like, you've got it dialed. You've clearly figured it out, figured it out. I mean, we, I feel like we, we've never fully figured it out, but you've, you understand deer extremely well. And I've been bouncing questions off of you that even the one about corn yesterday with the corn stalks growing in Tennessee at that farm, like, Hey, what, you know, would this be drying out where they'd be eating it at this point in the season? Like this kind of stuff. So like, I, I just have really enjoyed like getting to learn from you. Uh, we have similar styles, but different styles. And it's just been cool to like kind of connect in that way with stories and, you know, the journeys that all these deer seem to take us down from time to time. But yeah, like you said, deer hunt's tough. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever totally figure it out, but, um, you know, and I, I learned too, as I go, you know, and, you know, the first, I'd say my first two big deer were definitely all luck, like no doubt about it. You know, this was like, I didn't have trail cameras at the time. And you know, how old are you? I'm 36. Well, I mean, at the, at the time when you killed those deer. Yeah. The, yeah. The time when I killed those deer, I, my first two big deer. You were not 36 though. Well, how old were you when you killed? Oh, them? <laughs> <laughs> no. So my first big deer, I was 18. Okay. You know, I, I had killed, I didn't really start hunting till I was 16. Um, my buddies kind of got me into it. I was always like, I liked fishing just because I liked the time outdoors and by myself. Like it just kind of, you know, I just kind of liked, you know, the peace and, and stuff of fishing. I would just, you know, catfish all day. I just sit down in the dock and I just sit there by myself all day and just fish. And, uh, my buddies were always hunting and, you know, I just, I never thought nothing of it. And I went one day with my buddy and he sat me on the ground with a crossbow and I saw two does and it was like, I didn't shoot them, but it was like, man, that was awesome. Like, I just loved the feeling and being out there in the woods. And then, you know, I ended up buying myself a Fred bear bow for like 200 bucks and put a tree stand up actually here on the property where I built the house that my grandpa owned, put a tree stand up and shot a button buck. And like, it was, it was game on after that. Yeah. Like I just, you know, loved hunting. I pretty much just gave up fishing. Like I just, you know, stopped fishing and spent all that time in the woods. And then that was kind of when I was starting to get into racing too. So I didn't really have, you know, time to do a lot, but you know, that just kind of kicked off my whole, the whole hunting thing. And then I killed my first big deer in 2018, which Ohio is a one buck state. <clears throat> so um, and that was definitely, you know, a lucky deer. And then I killed, how big was that deer? Uh, he was over 200 inches. Is it this one here? Yeah. Yeah. It was, what uh, did he score? Uh, it grossed like 223. Jeez. are for fish, but it was still over 200. <laughs> <laughs> I've always, I mean, to me, like the score is not the reason we hunt. It's it, to me, it's just a cool part of it to know like what a deer grew yep um and i i agree with you too like on the net versus gross thing like i've always just been like a gross like gross score like if you grew it count it kind of thing i agree but 
I think it needs to be a CC based. Like it needs to be like they put it in water or something, and like oh, the amount of water it displaces that, that comes out. Yeah, it needs to be like a CC because like if it grew it, it's there. Yeah, like you know they're you know yeah. I mean, you could have a deer that's got like tines that are you know seven inches around, but that won't count towards the you know score at all. Right. <clears throat> I think that would be cool. Like uh, if they had some sort of scoring system like that where it was all the antler yeah like so you're 18 right you're 18 you kill your first deer no my you first, killed big, your first big deer yeah okay and it was that deer and then what was the next big deer that you killed so in 2007 i killed that one okay and that was another lucky buck so it was rut and my buddy actually well my mechanic he's down jeb yeah jebediah oh yeah yeah he's not amish but we call him jebediah because he looks <laughs> like it uh, but anyway, he killed like a 160-inch 10-point that morning behind his mom's house, and I went to help him pull it out. And we drug it out, and it was like 11 o'clock, and I'm like, I'm going hunt. Like, like he gave me the, fired like, up. I got to go. Like, you know, I'd, I'd already hunted that morning, but I'm like, I'm just going to go sit the rest of the day. So this was right. It was November 4th. I remember like it was yesterday. And so I walk in, and a lot of the times, like, <clears throat> I started hunting you know, then like I was playing the wind. I always played the wind. Like, you know, I had older buddies that hunted, so I wanted to be like them, you know, and they always played the wind. So like, you know, I had a, I put my pouch on the front and I'd have like uh, pegs where I climb up the tree and I put my stand up that way I could always move. Like I could always, you know, I was never in the same tree. I could always play the wind and, you know, figure out, you know, where I wanted to go. So I was went in at noon, I start climbing up this tree and I'm like three pegs up and I look and there's a buck like 60 yards almost downwind of me. And I'm looking at him like that thing's huge. And it looks like my way, but the tree I'm around is pretty big. I'm like, I didn't know whether to keep going to put my stand up or go to the ground. So I went to the ground and I was still behind this tree and I took some tanks out of my pocket and I just kind of like squirted it on the ground. Yeah. And, uh, I hear it start coming towards me and I'm behind this tree and I have my bow and I'm, and I hear it and it walks right next to me and I turn and I, I, it's no more than 20 yards from me. Send an arrow through it. This is at noon (laughs) and uh, like talk about luck. The thing goes and dies. And my other buddy went hunting with me and he had just got up in his tree stand and he sees this deer running towards him, and it dies right dies below. right in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking 180-inch deer, like, dies right below him. I told him, I called him, like, hey, I just shot a deer. He's like, yeah, one it's just had a heart attack right in front of me. <laughs> like, no, I think that's mine. That's awesome. Yeah. Was was that a, uh, like, a, a farm you had permission on, or? So, uh, yeah, it, well, it was, that was back then, yeah, I only hunted, like, bigger farms. You know, I didn't know anything about, like, uh. I didn't know there's big deer in cities or anything like that suburbs. So, you know, my, I grew up, you know, my grandpa owned a farm. So just kind of like, that was uh, your kind of foot in the door there. Yeah. Just kind of hunted farms around the area. And, you know, you know, from my grandpa being a farmer, like there wasn't, I'm sure there was leases back then, but it wasn't a thing like it is now. Like there wasn't, people weren't paying big money to lease these big farms. So, you know, you'd go up to a, a farmer and say, hey, you know, I'll help you mend your fence or do something, whatever, in the summer. And the, yeah. they would let you hunt. Like no farmer would turn you away. Hunting has changed a lot over the years from, it's just gotten commercialized. Like yeah. <clears throat> when I went to Kansas this year, you know, I 
I went kind of on a whim. A buddy of mine, Zach, was like him and his dad used to go, and I think his dad had gone to Kansas for years, and he was like, yeah, you just you know meet farmers and just handshake, get permission, and he's like, you know, my dad's been doing it for years, and uh, so I, you know, I thought I was going to a portion of Kansas that was kind of like not as uh, you know beat to death with hunters. I just thought I was kind of going to a part of Kansas that wasn't as popular. And so I was thinking, I had, totally had the mindset of like, yeah, I'll just door knock, get permission, this, that, and the other. And it's like, dude, it was, I was dead wrong. I mean, every square inch of ground has been leased up out there and the, the, the prices and competition for ground just keep getting higher and higher and higher. And so that was a part that was, uh, has changed over the years was my buddy's dad was like, he used to go out there and he could get any ground he wanted in Kansas just from, you know, meeting a farmer and having a conversation and then being like, yeah, you know, you can, you know, hunt, whatever. But I've, I mean, I had a rude awakening when I got out there and every single person I talked to was all about money. Yeah. It was literally all about money and it had gotten so commercialized. Um, and I, I ended up finding some public stuff to hunt my first trip and I did get permission on some smaller stuff, but it was not like, I mean, you kind of had to really search and find some stuff that wasn't leased where you could still get permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, obviously the best ground, you know, out there, but you were at least in the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, even Atlanta and like all the, all these suburbs, it's just gotten more popular, which is great for yeah. hunters. Uh, but it does make it more challenging. And like, we've had to adapt on, uh, some areas that we've hunted in Atlanta, like when we first started were lights out. I mean, like the first place we ever got, I mean, there's, there was four or five shooters on it Yeah. in a given deer season, four or five different big shooters that were coming through. And we haven't hunted those areas. And I personally haven't hunted that area in probably 10 years Yeah. just because there's such a congregation of hunters and we've had to learn. It's all, you got to adapt and I don't care if you hunt suburban or rural or anywhere in between i I think adapting is always like you got to be light on your feet and and adapt and we've we've sort of figured out where the pressure is and we've gotten away from it and that's where we've found our bigger deer but you you have to and you know a lot of it isn't you know a lot of it is pressure but a lot of it is just the young ones don't make it to age where they get to the age class of bucks that you want to shoot i mean i remember you sending me a video of a deer last year that was had all the drop tines that you were filming and yeah. how many times did you pass on that deer oh probably four or five times but it was only like three and a half year old deer and he he had like how many drop tines and he had three drop tines and was probably already i don't know he's probably maybe 150s but you know he was young and he would have been i mean I'm glad the hunt, he did get killed and, you know, Hunter shot him and the guy was happy that he shot him. So that was good. But that's actually an area that, um, like you saying, like I've took a couple good deer out of there. Yeah. You know, I've took two good deer out of the two biggest deer I've ever seen there on camera. I ended up harvesting, you yeah. know, two years, you know, back to back. But since then we haven't had, you know, the area hasn't like rebounded and that area, um, has a whole lot of hunters and you know they just haven't had they're a just chance. not getting that older they class just haven't had a chance to grow that's same same deal in atlanta really kind of anywhere that we go is is you got to find and that just takes t- 
time and experience to figure out, you know, where, where your pockets are that they're, these deer aren't getting that hunting pressure. But I remember you passing that deer and it's, it's, it's a roll of the dice. I mean, if that deer would have made it, he'd be gnarly this year. But I also have gotten to the place too. Like I mean, back in the day, I used to get so upset about, you know, oh, this guy killed this deer and, and, you know, get all kind of butt hurt about it. But to be honest, like I've, maybe it's just, I've matured as a person or a hunter, but it's like, man, as long as that dude is like super thrilled and that like deer meant something to him and it like, that's the, that's it. That's yeah. a, that's a win. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I, I don't get caught up as much about being like super bummed that <clears throat> your deer didn't make it. I'm more like, and being pissed off at the guy that shot it. Yeah. I, I've, I've kind of moved on from that part of my life. Uh, cause that's just not a good place to be. And it's like, you know, there is a part of you that's like, man, I, I do wish that deer would have made it. But as long as a dude puts the effort in, like does it legally lawfully, like does it ethically and he's happy with the deer, man, I, dude, I got no, no issues. And I'm I, nothing but like congrats and happy for that hunter to, to take a deer he's proud of. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it is, it is tough, you know, and like, you know, after that guy shot that deer, you know, I, you know, tried to, you know, reach out to him and I sent him like some pictures and the videos cause he didn't have any, Yeah, you know, so he had, you know, that stuff. And then like, I saw like his granddaughter, like made a video, like with the pictures and the videos that I sent him. Yeah. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, and, you know, just a little girl, like made this video for her grandpa or whatever that shot the deer and, yeah. you know, so it, it was sweet and, and you know, there's always other big deer. Like, you know, that, you know, I would understand that that's the only spot you hunted and you wanted that deer to get bigger. But if you're going to continue to shoot big deer every year, mature deer, you can't just have one spot. You have to have a lot of spots. And people just think, you know, I mean, because I shoot big deer almost every year in Ohio, that Ohio just has all these monster bucks. And you come and you spend 30 seconds here and you shoot a booner. <laughs> and like, I mean, Ohio just has all these big deer. <laughs> but, but, you know, the reality of it is that, you know, we do have big deer, but they're not everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of these places where I've shot big deer before, you know, I still run cameras and stuff there now. And there hasn't been a deer, you know, within 50 inches of, you know, that deer there in 10 years. It's just like, you just got to keep those spots and not give up on them and just keep running cameras there until something shows back up. Because the second you give up on something, you know, they'll probably be a big one move in. Yeah. Then in that spot, I told you that we kind of abandoned where was our first spot. We'd always have four or five shooters. There's still big deer there. I mean, there's always deer that slip through the cracks and get past hunters and make it year to year. Uh, but I just, I've tended to like to try and get away from that pressure and not, uh, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a, it's not a good feeling when you're hunting a deer and you know, there's pressure all around and he's gone for like a few days and you're like, Oh, he's, you know, someone's killed him. <laughs> yeah. or this, and it's like, you could be hunting a deer that's doesn't exist anymore. He's right. already been taken and you just kind of, I I've tended to like to try and find the nooks and crannies away from the pressure where, uh, I've got a higher chance at being the one that takes that deer. Yeah. And so I, I, that's kind of been our part of our equation is like, getting away from the hunting pressure, but you always do want to keep running cameras in those places because like, I mean, just like you said, dude, there could be a, a deer that slips through the cracks. 
gets to the right age in this area. And, and these deer are very good at getting by hunters. Yeah. There are deer that make it every year in these areas that are slipping by 10, 15 different dudes all hunting the same deer. And then they'll, they'll make it year after year after year after year. So it's, it's, yeah, we, we don't abandon those places, but we are always, I feel like we have, if you don't keep the wheels turning and keep like getting new spots, you know, finding new areas and like feeding that beast kind of thing, like you kind of, like you said, you can't have one spot. Like when people ask for advice about suburban hunting in particular, like, man, I've got this spot and I've got this deer that's showing up on camera, but he's only showing up at night. I'm like, dude, you, you, you got to get new spots. You can't, yeah. you can't ride it out in that place. You've got to get two, three, four, five, six different places to try and hunt this deer. Cause he's daylighting somewhere. Yep. You just got to find where it is. And that, that I think to your point is like, you've got to keep moving, getting new places. And that's like a ton of work, but that's like probably the biggest factor in consistently getting on big deer. For sure. And I kind of <clears throat> ran into that situation last year. I kind of went stale last year. Um, you know, actually you coming here kind of lit a fire under me. I, I noticed that you really got after it like late in the year to find one. And then you ended up finding like a really big deer. Yeah. So, you know, last year, you know, I had, you know, I went into season with one deer in particular that I wanted to kill. I'm like, okay, this deer, you know, I'd passed him for three years following, you know, and he was nine and a half, you know, coming into last year. And I'm like, this is the deer I'm going after. Like he's going to be a stud this year. And he always comes in in the end of October. Well, he did. He came in end of October and he lost about 30 inches. He was, you know, he was probably 170s the year before as, yeah. as an eight pointer. And uh, Golly, so he was huge. He was huge, yeah. And I was expecting him to be that or bigger. And uh, he was of age for me to, you know, want to take him. And he comes by and uh, on my truck camera, I'm like, that can't be him. And I, you know, me and my buddy kind of were hunting the same area and I showed him the picture and he's like, no way that's him. I'm like, I think it's him. And, you know, he started getting more pictures of him and it was him. He, he went to, you know, he was still a big deer. He was mm -hmm. probably right at a 150 inch eight pointer stud, still stud buck. But, you know, I kind of, at that point, I kind of, you know, wrote him off. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to hunt him. So I just kind of started hunting some other areas, just kind of hoping something would show up. And I, you know, I don't know, I kind of went stale. Like I didn't have anything to hunt and you showed up and, you know, you know, we kind of talked a little bit and like, you know what, I need more properties. Cause I, I did have some other big deer and other properties, but they weren't old enough for me to shoot. And, you know, you know, and I put a lot of time and effort into these deer and, you know, I, I want them to grow up. And, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I love hunting. I just want to you know, now I just love shooting mature deer, you know, there's nothing against shooting smaller ones, but you know, I love shooting older, mature, hard to kill deer. That's just, you know, what I like to do. I like the challenge of it. You know, I don't even like killing animals to say the truth, but I do like just the challenge of, you know, being in the woods, like, and you're in his area and, you know, outsmarting, you know, the smartest thing in that area. Like that's just something about that. It's just, it's really it's great. It's a great feeling, but you know, like a lot of these deer, I'll, I'll watch for years. And like, after I shoot it, it's like, you feel bad. You're like, man, like I'm never going to see this deer in the wild again. I'm never going to get trail camera pictures of them again. Like, you know, I mean, it's great, you know, to honor them on your wall and everything. And I look at all these deer in here and, you know, I, every day I'm in here, I, I love it. It's just, 
it's tough. It really is. Like when you're, when you know a deer and you have a lot of history worth the deer, it's, it's tough. Like I'm sure you, I mean, I'm sure you shed a tear over a deer before. Yeah. Multiple deer. I mean, yeah. dude, it's, it is an emotional thing. And, uh, there's a hundred percent of sadness. Like after it's happened, there is a sadness of, of the, the pursuits done and that deer's isn't out there anymore like and I, I think that shows the respect you have for the life of that animal though so it's like it's a good thing oh for sure <clears throat> but there is a hundred percent like the sadness or almost like an emptiness that i've personally felt uh when when it's happened that i've spent i mean sometimes three four years or yeah. longer on a particular deer and then when it happens like it's over and it's like the the chase and the pursuit, like it's done. And there is, dude. It's it's a it's a weird, like almost depression <laughs> in a way, for sure. Where it's like, for me personally, if I don't go fill that hole again with like another story or trying to figure out another deer, dude, I feel lost yeah. sometimes as a hunter. But I, it's funny you said um, that, like you don't even like killing animals. I've kind of gotten the same way too, like. When I was younger, dude, you know, everyone's kind of an idiot when you're, you know, 12 yeah, years old absolutely. and just like, just kill stuff that just like you shouldn't have done, Yeah, you know, like with a pellet gun around the house, just shooting stuff, just to shoot stuff. And it's like, I've gotten to a place now where it's like, you know, I have to trap chipmunks around my house. They're like digging into my house and stuff and I have traps and stuff and I've, I've been getting rid of them. But it's like, dude, I even feel bad killing chipmunks. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you know like even especially like in a trap if I get one that's like got an you know an arm caught or whatever yeah. and it's sitting there struggling like dude it just like it it has maybe I'm just getting soft as I'm getting a little older but it's like dude I just it just like kind of makes me sad where I just like I wish I could relocate the chipmunk to be honest with you instead of killing him yeah no I I, I feel exactly the same way and I, you know I, and that's another thing that I like you know, with these older mature deer, like they've lived a lot of their life. Like, you know, you've let them live, like you've watched them grow up, you know, they're to an age where, you know, they could die of, you know, disease or get, you know, hit by a car, you know, that could, that could happen to young deer too, but at least, you know, maybe it's just what makes me feel better about shooting old deer, but they've went through their, you know, they've, they've ran their race, they've ran anyway. their race, you know, they've, you know, went through so many mating seasons and they've already got spread their genetics and everything. It's like, you know, they're on their way downhill and I don't know, maybe it, it's, and I may not be right, but it at least makes me feel a tad better about yeah. not shooting a two or three year old, you know, and shooting a I, I, six, seven. I think know. it all goes back to just respect for that animal. Yeah. And like when we, when you lose respect for the animal, dude, to me, like, you've you've lost the what makes hunters hunters absolutely you know like it is about the pursuit the passion for it putting food on the table like i love eating deer meat when i'm home i literally probably eat it every day but there has got to be that love for those creatures other like because i mean at the end of the day like we are killing god's creation yeah. like we are taking the life of something that god created and like that is a not a light a thing to take lightly and that kind of propels me into a different subject because you and i've talked about this with certain individuals like in social media today that highlight the just pure gore of 
killing an animal. I'm not going to name names or give any examples, but like, I feel like people have chased likes. And so they're doing like just crazy, uh, just posting certain things that are just not meant to be posted. And that's not being soft. No. That That is having respect for that animal. And it's like it, highlighting the gruesome and gore and death of an animal, in my opinion, is just not the celebration, like the moment that we should highlight and, and celebrate and cast. Like I, I get where some people were like, you know, you know, screw the anti hunters. Like, you know, this is what we do. Yeah. Kind of thing. like, I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, like I just have enough respect for these animals where like, I don't want to like highlight where th- like the death of that animal for sure. Um, and you have a big enough, a big following and like, you know, sort of these other people and you know, everybody wants to be like who they're following or they want to do like, you know, the people they're following. So it's like, you know, if you promote, you know, stuff, that kind of stuff, then yeah. you're going to get more people doing that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of like the way you go about everything. Like, you know, you're very like ethical and like, you know, with, with all your videos, like you could try to make sure everything is put together good. And, you know, you tell the whole story with it, you go and, you know, from the getting permission to, you know, setting up the tree stand and, you know, make an ethical shot on the deer, making sure you've done all your target practice. And, you know, it doesn't matter. You could target practice every day and still make a bad shot on a deer. Sure. But, you know, you do everything you possibly can to make sure that animal passes as quick as it can, you know, and then you, you know, honor the animal after you, you know, yeah. it's done. Like it's the whole, from start to beginning or from beginning to end, it's, you know, I feel like it's the way it should be done. And, yeah. you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat and, you know, everybody's going to do it their own way. But I'll, you know, I think for your audience and, you know, people that want to be like you, like you're definitely doing a good job. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, I appreciate hearing that for sure. I, I think like, I guess my point in saying all this is like, you know, people's argument when someone is highlighting like the gore and death of an animal is like, oh, you're, you're feeding the anti hunters arguments of like why people would hate hunting. And to a certain extent, that's true. But to me personally, I don't care about that. Like anti hunters are going to be anti. I don't really personally care that much about that. Like I'm going to do, we're going to do our thing. To me, it boils down to respecting the animal. And when you're highlighting, you know, I'll, for example, a super slow-mo shot of a turkey getting his head chopped off on social media, like, yeah, you're getting a bunch of likes and engagement and, and people, some people are like, oh yeah, you know, hell yeah. <laughs> but to me, I'm just like, dude, you're like, you're just kind of pissing on, on God's creation in a way. Like, I don't you're just highlight. It. I, I don't either. I, 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 I already saw like, what was coming i just went, yeah i dude, went to the it, next yeah. step. like i won't and even watch it that may you know I, i'm sure i mean everyone's got their opinions and that's okay to have conversations yeah. that people disagree on totally fine like i can talk to anybody disagree with them but hear what they're saying and i'm, I'm not gonna be pissed off at them so that, like i know that this topic we're talking about like people will probably listen and they'll probably disagree with me and in, in certain ways and that's totally fine yeah like i don't not like that person any less than than I did before just because they have a differing opinion. But that's just something that like, I don't know, I feel like is we're, we're talking about how important and how, how respectful and like just the meaning behind hunting that it's just deeper than 
just taking an animal. Yeah. And that's something that I feel like I've needed to get off my chest for a minute because I see stuff on social media and it just drives me nuts. Yeah, no, and you know, you're in a way different situation than me because this is what you do for a living. But, you know, like so I, I've had plenty of opportunities. Like I have people that want me to go out and kill an elk and all this stuff. And like I just – Unless I lived out there and I have seen that elk for a long time, like I don't even really want to go kill one because I just, you know, you know, now if, if I don't really like know the deer, like I don't even like going to other states and, and, you know, and killing a deer, like unless you, I put in the time, like you, you go to these other states, you know, the deer you're hunting, you know, you, you put in the work, but like for me just to go to another, like if I came to hunt Atlanta with you and you just sat me up in a tree stand to shoot this buck that walked in. I don't think that would like, to me, that's not, I, I wouldn't feel good about that. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's why, like, that is probably one of the main reasons that, uh, we don't do outfitters. I mean, we, we like, we went to Hawaii and hunted axis deer and like, you have to go through an outfitter to do that. Right. And that was a fun hunt, but you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say like hunting those deer, Weren't, did not mean near as much to me as like a whitetail that I personally have right. invested in. And like, I think that's a big reason that we haven't really done outfitter stuff is that I, I have nothing wrong with outfitters. Like people who go on outfitters, dude, do your thing. Yeah. Not love everybody has the time you do, or, you know, even for I sure. do to, to for sure. know, put into these animals yeah, and, and sure. they just like hunting and they want to shoot a deer where there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So I'm all for, you know, people doing outfitters and that kind of stuff. But for me personally, I just never got the enjoyment uh, out of it that I did when it was all kind of on my own time and on, <clears throat> on my own, you know, efforts. I, the only time I've never hunted for whitetails um, through an outfitter except for one time, and it was before Seek One was even a thing. Like, we weren't filming or really doing anything. We went to Kansas, and it was a, like a family friend of mine that had something to do with the outfitter out there, and he, he actually invited me to go so it was like a dream of mine to hunt kansas and it's like super early into my hunting career and you know i didn't i didn't really know what i know now and and so anyways we, we go out there on this outfitter and it was cool to to hunt that scenery and and kind of experience kansas but you know we were being put in stands that like you know i didn't hang and this guy was telling me like, oh yeah, you know, this deer's on camera here, this deer's on camera here. But I had no idea if he was telling me the truth or not, you know, like I didn't put the camera yeah, out and yeah. check it. So I, and I, I think that was kind of the case was like, you know, I don't know if, um, if they were just putting me in stands just to put me in stands and it, I, you know, it was fun and I got to hunt Kansas and it was great. I didn't kill anything. But when I went to Kansas last year and just like, figured it out myself that that is what like gets me like the the joy and the excitement that comes from that hunting gives it you is when it has been your work that's led yeah. to a moment like that um and so that's kind of why like you know we we haven't done the the outfitter stuff and we i'm not saying we won't ever do it but uh the door knocking style has just been like what we've grown up doing it it allows us to have these stories and these journeys with these deer. That's why we started filming our hunts from the first place was like, these stories are crazy. These journeys are wild. Like we need to share this stuff. And now, I mean, that's kind of the root of, you know, how we even came to be doing any of this in the first place. But, and, and you know, kind of before we got off on this tangent, 
you know, I was kind of getting into, you know, last year I kind of went stale on everything and then you came and, you know, I already had you know, probably 10 properties that I hunted. I just didn't have anything I wanted to shoot on them. And, uh, so you came and I'm like, you know what, like you talked me into it. Like, like I, I don't know. I was scared to go knock on doors. Like I just couldn't do it. Like it just wasn't my thing. Like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I spent, I'm like, I'm going to focus these couple days. I'm just going to knock on doors. And I drove out. I marked like on my hunting app where I was going to go knock. I went to the first place and I just, just like sat there across the road. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, I can't freaking do it. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, I can't do it. And then, so I went home. I went home. And the next day I went back. I'm like, stop being a pussy. Like go out there. You, and, did you really yes. sat there and was like, oh, I can't do this. I didn't, I didn't do it. And I drove to the next spot. And I couldn't do it. I just, I don't know why I just couldn't do it. So I went, um, I came home and I was all mad at myself and I'm like, man, I'm like, I- I'm going to do it. So I, the next day I went out, went to the first place. <clears throat> I got denied, but the guy was nice. I, w- I went to the next place and this lady answers the door and, you know, I'd watch some other videos online and it always says when you go up or whatever, knock on the door and then step down off the porch, you For know, sure. Less and, threatening. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't, didn't know who was going to answer the door. Door. So I went, I, I knocked and I stepped down off the, the porch and this uh, middle-aged lady comes to the, the porch and super, like, big smile on her face, like, like she was very welcoming, you know, and then I, I kind of talked to her and, you know, I, you know, she, there was deer in her yard when I pulled in. There oh, was really? a 140 inch buck behind the house. Like, oh, and there was, gosh. yeah. I saw like. I pull in, I'm like, hey, you look at these deer in the yard. And she's like, oh, yeah, they're here all the time. And, you know, I just started talking to her. And, you know, I didn't ask the hunter anything right off the bat. I just started talking to her. And within two minutes, she was crying. She uh, had just lost her husband like a couple years before that. And, you know, I'm talking to her. And she says, like, I remind her of her husband. And, like, her husband would love to have met me and, like, all this stuff and I'm like it just so I sit there and talk to her and you know like it just made me feel like man I'm glad that I did this like I'm glad that I and not all my interactions were like that but you know I talk to this lady now like you know every couple weeks you know I have cameras you know at her place like a tree fell in her driveway I chopped it up for her so she could get out like you know, I told anything she needs, just call me. Like, you know, we, I've have a great relationship with, with her now. And, you know, I feel like just, you know, my interaction with her and I send her pictures of the deer that I get in her yard and, you know, everything like, and she just, she loves having me there. Like I'm not a burden at all. Like she loves when I come there. So it's like, you know, and, and I've gotten some other places that, that are good too. So it's just like, it made me feel good. Like when I went out, like, I feel like, you know, I helped her a little bit, like maybe get through something just by talking to her, just by showing up and, you know, having a conversation with her. And, you know, she invited me in for dinner one evening and it was just the, um, there are people out there that are, are not very happy and, you know, have horrible lives, but there are a lot of people out there that, you know, I feel like door knocking, you know, I would have never have met these people without doing that. There's a lot of good people out yeah. there <clears throat> and it's kind of crazy. Like, how you build relationships with these people that you just had didn't didn't know just knocked on their door one day and then you know you even just talking that like just just talking to her like yeah. that's she probably just needed someone to talk to and yeah. you were that person to her and that probably meant the world to her 
And like, I, I've, I've had the same thing too, where like I've hunted deer for years, you know, at someone's property and they're rooting me on, like as they yeah. want it to happen for me just as much as I want it to happen. And I remember when I, after I killed Charlie, which was like the first story we ever did, first film we filmed hunt we ever did, we shot the deer and we wanted to give him time. And I came up to the house and they were like thrilled, just like it is static that I'd finally gotten a shot on them. They made us breakfast <laughs> and sat there and just like, you know, had coffee, ate breakfast, just like, you know, and it, it, so it, to your point, like you develop like very good relationships from not door knocking. Doesn't always go that way. No, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had, I've had it go the other way too, where I've had guns pulled on me and like really horrible interactions. Um, but when you have one like that happen, it, it's like, I don't know, dude, it like gives you a really good feeling. It for sure does. And it makes all the other bad ones like, it doesn't matter. Like you get one good one and it's like, okay, it's worth it. I'm glad that one happened early to me too. Cause if I'd have kept getting bad ones, I probably would have just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where you ended up finding the deer you spent the no. last part of your season hunting? No, it's not. But you know, I did get, find some good deer doing that. I, um, I did get some big deer that were prospects for, you know, the next couple of years, um, some great properties. Um, actually, um, so the deer that I ended up hunting the end of last year came from actually, so I probably shouldn't tell you where it came from because some people might be able to find it by that. But <laughs> anyway, a guy that I know, uh, was already tagged out and I don't want to, I don't want to give too much information away, but, um, sent me a picture of this deer said this deer just started showing up i'm tagged out um this was right before muzzleloader season he's like i'm scared my neighbor's gonna shoot it um if you want to come over and, and hunt it you know you can come over and hunt it so i went over and hunted it never saw it once um but it showed up um it showed up during like it was negative 50 here what yeah it, like the wind chill was negative 50 uh, and i was hunting in it too i wasn't hunting that deer but i was hunting in it because dude know, that's brutal it was it was crazy. Like you literally had to have everything covered. Like the wind was, was blowing 70 mile an hour. Like it was crazy. But so that deer showed up at his place for those couple days when it was really cold. The, then it left. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. And I, I never got a picture of it there. And so I'm like, man, where did this deer go? So I just kind of, I went back to that week that that deer was there. Cause that he had corn out. So I looked which way, the wind was blowing and then I started getting permission that way, which, and where this deer was at, like I know a lot of people in that whole area. So it was pretty easy for me to get, to get, you know, back on. Him. Yeah. Back on. Well, at least to put some cameras up to see if I could find him. Yeah. Well, the way the wind was blowing, I just figured maybe he smelled that corn. Um, cause the wind was blowing so, so, so strong and there was nothing to eat you know because the, the ground was frozen because we'd got freezing rain before that so they couldn't you know couldn't get to to ground forage so and and he was feeding every day still so it was a couple weeks later about a mile a mile and a half away from where he got pictures the way the wind was blowing i started getting pictures of him really yeah Yep, I'm like, no way. So I ended up setting up on him the first day, and uh, he comes in. Um, you know, and this was like, I just started filming, and 
you know, I, I bought a camera a couple of years ago and I, I've wanted to, to do some filming. Not, I'm not a big social media guy or anything, but you know, like you said, those just the stories that, that I have of all these deer. Like if I could share them with other people, it would just be, it would be awesome. Like they're great to me and I love it. I love all my stories. Like I could sit here and go through all these deer and tell you exactly what happened. And, you know, so I'm like, you know, it would be nice to be able to share some of it with some more people. So anyway, I went in, started hunting this deer. He shows up, he comes in, he's coming in with some other bucks. This is, you know, getting to be late season. So they're, the bucks are bachelor back up and they're with some does. He's coming in, he jumps the fence. Another buck goes downwind of me and he, like I can tell he's trying to win me. The one, the other one is mm-hmm. like a smaller buck got, got a wind of me. He's not blowing yet, but I can tell he's, he's uneasy. So this, the, the big buck that I named metric comes in and he comes in, in the bow range. He's like 20 yards in front of me and I can't grab my bow because I got this other buck behind me. So, I, and I can't move, I can't grab my bow. I've got my camera on, but I, so I'm videoing him coming in, but I can't grab my bow. So finally the buck behind me, I kind of see out my corner of my eye. He turns his head a little bit. So I grab my bow and, uh, not able to pull back, but my plan was to move my camera arm out of the way because the buck that I was trying to shoot was in front of the camera. Well, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I'm like, okay, maybe I can shoot over the camera arm because the camera arm was about right below my chest. So uh, I pull my bow back. Like I said, this, the deer's only 20 yards. I pull my bow back over my camera arm, and I, I like look at everything. I'm like, okay, I'm clear of the camera arm. Like, I'm, I'm good to shoot. And I said, like, this deer's dead. Like, I touch off, boom, bow explodes, arrow flies into a billion pieces. <laughs> my string comes off. Like, all the deer book. I'm like, what happened? And I look and my camera's like laying, like, like it knocked my whole camera arm, like off to the side. I'm like, and I look at my cam when the cam, I didn't think about the cam coming back on the bow. When the cam rotated back on it the bow, the it hit the camera arm and exploded the bow. All, all the deer run. He runs 50 yards and stops and he's not downwind. So he can't smell anything. He just, all the other deer run out of sight. Don't see him. He runs 50 yards and stops. And like I said, I have all this on video. He stands there for probably a good 45 minutes, you know, and just kind of looks, doesn't move, just listens. Yeah. And then comes back in and I'm sitting there in this tree with no bow, with no, with no bow. And I'm looking at my quiver. I'm like, there's no, I can't throw these at him. I'm like, (laughs) is there any way to kill this deer? And I'm just sitting up there. I'm like, there's no way I'm just going to have to watch him. And how long did you watch him for? Oh, another 20 minutes. Oh he, my gosh. He comes back into 20 like yards. Broadside at just right. Uh, it's all on video. Just, I'm sitting Dude. there watching him and he walks away and, uh, I'm like, okay. I'm like, so how, how big you found one of his sheds. How big do you think that deer was? Uh, he was right at 180 cause last, I, that last year, last year I called him metric cause he was symmetrical. Both his sides were exactly the same. And for a deer to, to have triple split g3s on both sides are exactly the same yeah you know are pretty rare pretty rare so i called a metric and anyway so my bow's blown up so i come home and you know i don't really so you sat there for for 20 minutes just watching watching him him at 20 yards yeah it really wasn't as hard as you thought but like when he first came back in i was like trying to like how am i going to kill him like you know i really thought about like throwing an arrow at him or like 
was like, well, I, and I was like looking at my bow to see if I could like get the string back on. And I'm like, you know, everything goes through your head. And I'm, then I'm like, you know what? It's worthless. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to watch him. I'll make sure I don't bust him or yeah. I'm going to make sure you don't bust me. So I want, you know, just videoed him and he comes back in and just kind of mills around and ends up leaving. And so I'm like, he didn't come back that night. So I'm like, he's probably not going to come back to that spot. Well, I had another spot that was the way he took off that night. Like when he walked away, I have another spot that was like three quarters of a mile down that way. So I'm like, I'm going to sit there the next day. But, you know, my bow blew up. So, so I, had, this, I mean, this deer's moving. He's, 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 he moves a lot. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, especially Which late you, season. He's yeah, not staying with the same bucks season, either. they'd be hunkered in. He's, all these other bucks are staying. Like, because I see him every day. Yeah. He's moving. Like, he's not staying with these bachelor group bucks. He's he's hooking up with them for yeah. like you know a couple of days and then he's going to the next one. Huh. And he was running like, you know, at, after you know the next couple months of seeing him, he was running about a 7-day junket. About about 6 to 7 days. So he, he was doing be, a rotation yeah. of of yeah, okay. He was rotating. And so I which I didn't know it at this time. Sure. You know, this was still early. You know, it wasn't early, but it was December, December. Yeah, maybe late December. No, it was January. It was January because uh, we got that uh, cold snap in Christmas. So this mm-hmm. was January. And uh, so anyway, I I go home. You know, that next day I sight in my old bow, uh, but I only have my new arrows, which are heavier than my old arrows, whatever. So it's like, you know, I'm probably only going to get a 40-yard shot. So I just, you know, shoot out to 40, and it's like six inches low at 40 yards. So I'm like, yeah, I can – you know, he's going to be within 20 to 40. I know it's low. I'm like, I'll just aim high. If he comes in, like, you know, it'll be fine. So anyway, he, uh, you know, this was, you know, negligence on my part. I should have made sure everything was perfect, but I shot my bow. I'm like, you know, I know, you know, I'll just, you know, I have a fixed, I have a pin that, you know, I have the rotating thing. Mm -hmm. And like, if he's at 30, I'll put it at 40. Yeah. You know, no, no big deal. Uh, so anyway, he, the next day I'm sitting there in this other spot and, he's coming in you know and this was so you you just out of instinct he left that spot you knew the direction he went you had a spot three quarters of a mile in the direction he went and you're like i'm gonna sit the other spot maybe and he a came mile in. yeah but he the nights that i was getting him in the spot where i missed him the first day he was coming in in the night like two like he'd be there that night so he right. wasn't betting far and i'd get him i'd get him in the mornings like real like right before light. So when he didn't show up that night, you knew he wasn't I knew there. he probably wasn't going to be there okay. that day. So yeah. like I knew I'd be wasting my time going back to that spot. So, but I never had got him at the other spot. But I So kn- that was a total gamble was yeah. you'd never seen him at the at the spot almost a mile away. Yeah. You're just like total whim. Yeah. That was and, the way he was heading and that was the only other spot I had. And here he comes. Yeah, here he comes. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I've got my GoPro on this time. I have a GoPro above my head. I've got and he's coming in. I'm like, "Oh, he's dead now." He comes in with another buck. And they're completely broadside, 25 yards. But the other buck is standing, like, he has his head down in front of his vitals. And I was scared if I shot that he'd lift his head up and I'd mm-hmm. hit the other buck. Right. You know, and I've, you know, I'm calm. Like, when, when I, these deer come in, like, you know, I've hunted so much. And, like, I'm really good at calming myself down. I don't do dumb stuff. Like, you know, I've missed enough deer a long time ago that, you know, I like making it count when they come in, like, 
Mm-hmm. You get you get in kill mode. I get in kill mode. Yeah. And so like I'm calm. I'm just watching him. Like you know I'm gonna have my shot. No problem. There's plenty of daylight left. And this buck will not get out of the way. This other buck is always standing. Like I can't get a clear shot. Well, they work out to about 35 yards. So like I'm adjusting my thing and like I'm remembering. Okay, I, he's at 35. So I'm set set my pin at 45. Like okay, we're we're good. And so you know another five six minutes goes by of no shot. Finally, the other buck kind of walks walks a little bit and he gives me a shot. So. I pull back and I totally forget that I had already adjusted my pin. So I aimed six inches high. Oh, so no. I aimed high and I adjusted my pin high and shot it over him. barely shot over him. Like just inches. Like, I mean, it had to have skimmed his back and he kind of runs off into this cut beans and he just starts eating in the beans a hundred yards away. I mean, it didn't scare him too bad. This year is yet to win to me. Like he still yeah. did not win. Still, like, still is not on to you at all. He still is. He, I mean, I'm sure. No, he's really not because he hasn't winded me. So he still didn't win me. Goes out in the beans and just starts eating. And then after that, he went on that a, a junket that I never seen him again for like six days. And I had to go to a race, so I had to leave for King of Hammers, which is like a race I've got to be at for a month. So I left the and I actually stayed home two extra days and had my guys drive everything out so I could stay and hunt him. And, uh, literally the day I leave, um, cause I was hunting all day. Uh, the day that, that I leave, uh, I land in Phoenix for a layover at one forty-five PM. He's coming down the fence row that I'm sitting in. And like this fence row connects a couple big woods and, I would have been in that fence row with the wind perfect, and he would have been. I probably would have missed him again at five yards, but but still. So I wasn't there to miss him, but he walked by. So I land in Phoenix, and I'm about to get a, a return trip home to hunt him the next day because I know he's not leaving. Because yeah. you know by this time, like I kind of figured out his deal, his deal. Like I, so I knew he was going to be there for a couple of days, and I about wanted to come home, but then I'd have missed qualifying <laughs> like you know i just need to yeah you know, can would have been happy yeah about that. i just need to like get my <laughs> life straight here real quick but i mean i'm glad i'm so glad i, I missed him like i haven't missed a deer and how old do you think he was or is i'm, I'm embarrassed to say it because you know this was a deer that i didn't know you know he was just big and like i was at the end of the year and i was like okay this this deer i'm, I'm gonna hunt him he might have been four last year like i'm so he's he's I mean, he could really be something crazy this year. If he's not 200 inch, inches this year, I will be shocked. I'm so well, then, glad. Uh, you I, know, I, I, maybe that's a meant-to-be thing, and you'll be extremely happy that all this the craziness of the story did happen. No, for sure. And, that, like, after it all happened, I'm so glad that I missed him. I really am. I'm glad I missed him. I'm glad it happened the way it was. I, I feel like I would have killed him too early. Um, and that was, you know, like I said, I've, that's negligence on my part. You know, I still would have been happy with him, but I'm glad meant it to did. be. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of hear how it unfolds for you. Are you Are you going to keep filming the hunt? You have to. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, you have to. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Will it be high quality film? No, probably not. But it, story, it'll be filmed. The yeah. story at this point is, yeah, you got You got to film that. It's funny to me that like that deer has no clue that he's, you know, been that close twice. No, I mean, he just has no clue that he has been filmed. He heard some loud noise one night, and it was you know a bow exploding on a on a camera arm. Next night, probably heard something zip by him. 
has no idea what it was, started eating beans, just like still has not caught on to you at all. No. And doesn't know how close he was. <laughs> and, and, you know, I found one of his sheds, but it took me, I bet I walked 50 miles looking for it, and it wasn't, it was actually where I did not expect to find a shed. And I've been looking for him in the beans right now too, and I can't find him. How far away was his shed from where you were, where you were having your encounters with him? Um, from he was, it was closer to the last spot, and closer to um, where my buddy had pictures of him, where that corn was, about two miles. Golly, so this deer is really, really moving. Yeah, but the other crazy thing is, like, I've already hunted this area, and I have have buddies that hunt this area too that are within a half a mile never seen him never seen him dude that's that's the thing about these deer and we were, we were talking about that at breakfast this morning about how like they just crawl out of holes sometimes and it's like even in suburban settings with hunters everywhere you'd think that like these deer would be being tracked all, all year round summertime or everything but it's like they just disappear and yeah. I, like i've got a deer now that i've spent this is my third year on him, and I, I, for the life of me, cannot find where he has, is at in the summertime. And he's a deer that I've, I'm dedicating a lot of my season to, and I cannot find where he's summering at. And I've gotten so many spots, so many cameras out, trying to find where he's at, and I just cannot find him. And I'm not going to stop. I'll keep going. But, like, sometimes they just go to some of the most obscure places that you just would have zero idea and – at this point, if I don't find him, he typically shows up for me mid-October. Like that's kind of what I'm banking on. If yep. I can't find him, is that he'll show up in, in middle of, of October? Because I just, I just can't find where he's at. It and drives me nuts. But I, and I feel like right right now, like when they have their area, they, they some of them may only move a hundred yards. Yeah, you know, they, they're they're going from their bedding to food to water, and they're going right back. Like they're not, they don't need to move. Yeah. So two things. I think one thing is people don't understand how far these deer will move. And that dude, that is the same for rural or suburban. Yeah. Some people think suburban, like, oh, a deer's in five acres. He, that's just where he lives and he's trapped in there. No. These deer's instincts are to move and travel and relocate. And they do that in whatever setting. The other thing too is as far as they travel, sometimes at certain times of the year, they will lock down into very very small places and not leave them yep like this time of year in the summer i've seen them stay in a couple acres and they just live there and they don't leave and they know they're safe and they're in their perfect little bubble and zone they've never been messed with there and that's just that's home and then that's what i refer to like when they're crawling out of holes yep those are like the holes i'm talking about is like where a deer's been living in a super small place and all of a sudden he comes out and you're getting him on camera again. So it's like, I don't know, deer have always fascinated me. And I've, I've always, uh, like even I did a, um, podcast with, we haven't launched yet with Lee Likoski talking to him about his farms in Iowa and just like comparing deer behavior. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that these deer behave in extremely similar manners, even though they live in completely different environments. Yeah. <clears throat> deer are still deer. Yep. They're going to do deer things. I, I told you about the deer that I had at 25 yards last year and buck came in, you know, he was dead. I mean, I was at full draw. There's a little sapling running up his crease. I had a buck come in 
downwind that blew and blew the buck I was about to shoot out. He left that area, crossed the river, went three miles, and I was just lucky to even get pictures of him because I had a spot where he ended up. Total dumb luck to have pictures of him during the season. And he was there, you know, I don't know, late October till February, completely relocated back again to his summer area where I had him at full draw. So I'm hoping to finish the story with that deer this year, but it's just crazy. Like how they travel, how they move and their internal clocks to me are also crazy where they're like, you know, I have deer that will show up almost to the exact day yeah. where it's like year to year to year. They just, I, I don't know. That internal clock in them is, is fascinating to me. And the but, older they get, the more like precise they are on their, yeah. their clocks. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've, I'm rooting for you on that deer. I'm I'm excited to, I, I I know that you'll find him. I'm I'm trying. He's just, I've literally looked everywhere within probably five six miles of that area, um, in the beans because you know that's where usually where I find him, and yeah. he has not been. I found some other pretty good ones. Oh but yeah, I bet. I I have not found him yet, so I don't know where he goes. I'm but. in the same boat, man. I mean, the deer I've I'm committing a lot of my time to. Same, I'm in the same boat, so. But um, I want to rewind real quick. I want to hear some of the stuff, and and I know you got to get going, but I want to hear a little bit more about uh, your racing career. Um, I don't think people people that don't know you don't know that you're like the guy when it comes to off road racing. Like King of Hammers is is that the biggest race? That's the biggest off road event. How many years have you won that? Uh, Three years in a row. And I remember, I don't know if it was King of Hammers or if it was a different race, but I remember you sending me a picture and what was the deal? There was so much mud that was flying into y'all's, it was so muddy that like y'all's goggles, you had to pull the goggles off. Yeah. That was a 12 hour race. Um, That was the outlaw series, 12 hour race in Texas. And it was a 12 hour straight and it rained the whole time. And it was, it was crazy mud. Like. So we, I had a partner and he went out, you know, he did the first two hours and then it started raining when I got in. So I wanted to get all mine, my six hours done. So I did like five and a half hours continuous in the middle of the race. Uh, like, cause I didn't want to go back out cause I was soaking wet, muddy. Like my suit was done. My, my helmet was done. Everything I had was done. Like I couldn't even like see through my eyes like when i came in they had to like flush my eyes out and everything while my teammate gets in because you had to shed the goggles right yeah i had to shed goggles you, you just couldn't see yeah i remember you sending me that picture that that's the part that was crazy to me was you had to shed the goggles because you're getting too much mud so you couldn't see so you're going just straight bare eyes well s- sort of i had to have my like shield like barely cracked open to like stop the rain and and some of the mud coming in so i'm driving with one hand and trying to hold my shield just to where you can just barely see out of it because the problem is if you get too much mud in your eyes like it just you're totally blind you you will never be able to see again so that's what happened to my my partner he went out so you could be you could get you could literally become permanently blind my partner was blind for four days so so he he got in the car he did two laps he comes in and uh he's like i almost can't see 
He's like, you're going to have to take back over. I'm like, that's fine. I was like, can you do another lap while I get dressed? Because I wasn't dressed. So he goes out to take another lap, and I'm trying to find, like, a suit to put on that's not soaked and caked in mud. And, you know, I'm you know looking for helmets and stuff because my helmet's destroyed. And he doesn't even make it out of the pit. And, like, he has to stop because he cannot see the vehicles. He can't see anything. Like, he's completely blind. And somebody brings him back. Like, hey, like, Hunter cannot move anymore like the car is and we've got like a lap lead at this point and so he gets they bring him back like they're and hunter's like you got to go and like so i grab a helmet doesn't even have any pads in it like it didn't even have a visor on it to like had nothing no goggles no nothing and i just go jump in the car and take off and you know so and now it's getting dark because it goes into night so I'm coming in every lap and they're trying to give me like safety glasses. And I, and I know like if I lose my eyesight, we've lost this race. Like, right. like, so I have to keep just a little bit of eyesight. So I'm doing everything I can. Like I'm literally looking through the, like these safety glasses, like I'm trying to wipe them off and like, it's just smearing, but it's better than nothing. Like yeah. I know I have to, you know, finish this race. Well, anyway, we ended up winning. We both went to the hospital. Pretty much everybody there did. You know, we went to the hospital, had to get our eyes flushed. Hunter was probably worse off than anybody. And this was my partner. He uh, he was blind for like four or five days, like completely blind. Like yeah. he didn't have his eyesight for like four or five days. Like he had to wear like stuff on his eyes to like draw everything out. Like it was a bad deal. Um, some of the the other teams that were there, they had like motocross goggles. So they were able to get goggles every lap. Um, we kind of messed up and ran like auto helmets, which is tear off. So we didn't have goggles. We just had a lens, um, on the actual helmet itself. So we didn't have like motocross goggles where we could come in every lap and at least they could get a little bit of time right. before their goggles were hosed. But yeah, that, that race sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you sending me pictures of your eyes afterwards and like how like blown out and like swollen and dude it, it looked literally it just looked miserable oh it, it it sucked but there's you know i mean there's no quit quit in me and and that's kind of like it's probably what makes you a good deer hunter it probably yeah <laughs> i just have I have no quit and i'll go but you know at some point it's like that's what kind of ended my dirt bike career was you know i kind of injuries and and no quit and like after you know they started racing side by sides you know, at the GNCCs where, you know, I was racing dirt bikes and, um, you know, 12 years ago, 2011. And, uh, so I started racing side by sides, just kind of like in between injuries on dirt bikes. And like my second race ever, I got a ride from factory Can-Am. So I kind of like went from dirt bikes and used the side by sides to fill my void. And I never right. figured it would like turn out into, into a career. And it just kind of like, since that day, you know, I haven't really rode, rode dirt bikes anymore or anything and just I've been with Can-Am ever since and, you know, won a bunch of championships, won a bunch of races, met a lot of great people. Like, it's just, you know, it's, it's really a great career. It's still very stressful. I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like there's no, no downtime, but there's so many fast people that are, are coming up through the ranks and these kids are so fast. Like, like I have to literally stay on top like if i'm not on top of my game if like i don't breathe eat and sleep racing like i'm gonna get beat like yeah. there's you know there's already a group of these elite people that are you know we're all like on the same level like when we all show up to a race like uh we're not sure who's gonna win like we all 
there's a big group of us, like there's probably four or five of us that are always like, you know, one of these guys are going to win. So it's like to stay in that elite group, like it's tough. Like there, everybody wants to be, you know, there. And everyone wants to see the top dogs fall. Every, I don't care yep. what, <clears throat> what industry, sport, whatever, like everyone kind of wants to see, you know, the fall. For sure. And, and there's added pressure. I mean, that adds a ton of pressure to like, you know, when you're on the top of your game, like the amount of pressure to stay there is immense. I'm sure it is, but I love it. And, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, when that big buck comes in, like you just got to, you know, forget about it and not let it get to you and, and, you know, make everything happen, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, last question I have for you and then we'll, we'll wrap her up because I know you got stuff, better stuff to be doing, but what is the most like sketchy hunting story you have? Or do you have one or like, uh, um, <laughs> like, could this be used like against me in a court of law or, <laughs> like, uh, I don't think so. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know, but, uh, oh man, I have some sketchy ones. <laughs> do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably, I have a few from my younger days. I probably shouldn't talk about. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, the, the one for me is when I had a gun pulled on me door knocking. That, yeah. That's mine. I didn't know if you had any, uh, anything that stood out like, could, or maybe even just crazy, the craziest hunting moment like that has happened to you. Well, so this deer right here, well, I guess you don't have the video on anymore, but the one in the center, yeah. um, it was during the rut and I was hunting all day and, uh, about noon he come, a doe comes in, uh, I could tell she was being chased. I was in a block, a small block of woods outside of big CRP field, like in between another big block of woods. He comes in chasing this doe and this doe kind of like comes right behind me. And he, he, uh, <laughs> let me start this story out a little earlier. So I go in there in the morning and I have to cross this Creek and I have this log that I always walk across and you know, the Creek's maybe 20 yards wide. Uh, maybe probably not that many, 10 yards wide, but it's like two foot deep. Well, I slip off of it and I fall in the water. So I'm soaking wet. And it's, you know, November. So it's not warm, but it's not hot. Or yeah. it's not cold, but it's not warm. I mean, it's probably, you know, 50 degrees, 40 degrees in the morning. And it may warm up to 60 or something. But, you know, so I, I climb up the tree and my feet are freezing. So I take my boots and my socks off. I'm sitting up there bare feet. So, you know, it's probably, like I said, he comes in at noon. I'm sitting up there. My feet are still freezing. And he comes in and he beds down. You know, I, I don't get a shot at him, and he, he beds down with his butt up to a, a big oak tree, huge oak tree, and he, he backs his butt up to it, and he beds down, and he's only 25, 30 yards, but he's looking straight at the tree that I'm in, so I can't move, and my feet are freezing, you know, and so I, and I can't move, and he he lays there, and this is the first time I ever watched, like, a mature buck, like, bed down. His rack never hits the ground, like... He's the wind's coming from behind him, like to the tree that I'm coming in. Um, so he's looking the direction he can't smell. Right. And he, he laces, he laces like, uh, his chin on the ground, like, but he never lets his rack hit the ground. Like his, and like, then he'd pick his head back up for a couple minutes. He'd look around, then he'd lay his chin back on the ground. And I'm just sitting there watching. He probably lays there for an hour and a half. He gets up, 
walks straight to me and I can't shoot him because he's straight on and he walks straight away and I have no shot going straight away. So I just, I literally had to just watch him the whole time. No shot at him. Well, three days later I go back in cause I had to go to a race that next day. Three days later I go back in and, uh, I sit at the downwind side of the bedding area that he came out of. Uh, about 11 o'clock, he goes to the downwind side of that doe bedding area, and I kill him. He was trying; he was checking all the does that were bedding in there without having to go in there. Yeah. So I figured he may, you know, before he got to the woods I was in, I might be able to, you know, get him close, and, and he did, and I was able to to kill him. It was another. It was like midday. I've actually shot most of my mature deer. If I've killed him in the rut, it's been midday. Midday. Yeah. All day sets. I when I was in Kansas and and killed the deer that I did last year, I watched him. He was bedded down for like three or four hours in front of us. He was in a in a tumbleweed thicket, and I I couldn't see what he was doing. But there were times where I'd see the the tips of his antlers, and he'd you know have his head up. But then all of a sudden they disappear for like fifteen twenty minutes, yeah. and I always wondered like what he was doing if he was like had his head on the ground or I, I've just always wondered what a mature buck does when they're bedded down like that yeah. for hours at a time. I've just never been able to like witness one and watch them for hours and do that. It's kind of cool that you got to, to see that. It's but first time and only time I've ever seen it. I do have trail camera pictures of a couple different deer. One of them in particular was a deer in Tennessee. that was probably one nineties, uh, hunted that deer, never, never killed him. I've got a bunch of untold stories of deer that we've hunted over the years where it didn't happen. And uh, I do have cameras or a truck camera picture, like a whole series of pictures where this deer walks in, lays down in front of the camera, and he's like, just like you'd see a dog curl up and kind of tuck their head into like their legs and mm-hmm. stuff. Just like that. Curled up, eyes closed, totally asleep. Huh. Just gone, you know, dead to the world. Just like, just sleeping. Well, that's awesome. 190 inch deer. I, I gotta. I'll dig those pictures up and see if I can't find them. But um, yeah, I'd like to see that. Last thing, and then we'll go. Talking about mature deer and letting them go, and that's kind of what drives us. As we were talking, oh, he showed up. Yeah, you gotta let him go. I think so too. I mean, this deer's got. He, I think he's got like probably 18 points now. I'm not gonna say what state, uh, but he's four. And he's, he's going to be a stud, but you got to let him go. I think that if I shot that deer, I'd be looking at him and just be like, man, what could you have been? Mm-hmm. And to me, like, to me, it's worth rolling the dice. You I'm going to bet on the deer. You have to give him the chance to outwit all the other hunters that yeah. are hunting him. Well, I'm going to give him that chance. It's going to be tough because I'm sure he's going to be like, I mean, he's gonna probably a you 70, sure. 80, 80 inch deer. Yeah. But if he makes it to, I think he's four this year. If he goes to five. He'll be 200 inches. Dude, no doubt. He'll I mean, be 200 inches next year. He's got so much growing. Especially where he grew from last year to already see Oh, yeah. That he'll be 200 inches next yeah. year. So I'm going to roll the dice on that one, and uh, hopefully hopefully he makes it, and I'll have a, a cool story to tell with that one. But I'll let you go. I appreciate you hopping on with us on yeah, this man. thing. Thanks um, for having me. It's been great. We're going to do some door knocking. I know you got to head out of town for another race, but yeah. hopefully we'll be linked up this fall again. I'm sure, chasing I'm sure we will. I'll uh, put you on another big one. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't tell anyone how much I paid for it. Yeah, I won't say nothing. <laughs> uh, Hopefully they don't check my bank statements. Ice plunge? Cold plunge. Cold plunge this morning? I might have to get into that. Dude, they're great. Like, 
any advice I ever give to anybody that's getting old like us, get one. Like it, I feel like it'll keep you young. Like it's definitely makes me feel better and it just makes my body feel good. My joints, like I feel sharper today. I feel like we're just going to go kill the game door knocking. Oh, you for sure will. I know. Yeah. Um, anyways, appreciate y'all tuning in and, uh, you got to film that hunt. If you, if you end up filming all that stuff, like you got to post it somewhere and we'll make sure that we direct people to you when they, when they do it. Your, what's your Instagram? I have no idea. Kyle, Kyle Chaney. If you search Kyle Chaney, you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. All right. We'll let y'all go. We'll catch you on the next one. See y'all.